No, once again, I'm just grateful you're here, especially those of you that are our new visitors. And if you're um, watching online, uh, we're, we're, we're glad you're with us. Maybe you're listening on the radio. It uh, doesn't matter how you're hearing us. I'm just grateful you are. We're in a series here at, at Big Valley Grace where we're looking at the life of, of Nehemiah. It's really a, a series on, on leadership. I, I, I've told you over the last couple of weeks that, that we're all leaders, all of us. Whether you like it or, or not, we're all leaders. Some of you are leaders in your home, and maybe you've never thought about it that way. You're a parent in your home, a mom, a dad. You're a leader in your home. Some of you are leaders in your home, and you're a, you're a child in the home. Maybe you're the firstborn. And you're the older brother or the older sister. Some of you are, are leaders at the place that you work. You might be the manager or something like that. And some of you, you know, uh, uh, you may not be the manager. You're just an, an employee, but you're still a leader there. People look to you. And when you talk, you know, people kind of listen. Some of you are, are leaders in, in the businesses that you own. Maybe you've thought that, well, I just own the business, but no, no, you're, you're the leader in there. You're it. Some of you are, are leaders in the classroom that you teach in. Some of you are leaders and you're a student in that classroom. Some of you are, are leaders on the sports team that, that you play on. Some of you are, are leaders here at church. In fact, this room right now is filled with lots of, of leaders, leaders in all kinds of, 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 of areas. So the question isn't, are, are you a, a leader? You, you are. The question is, what kind of a leader are you? And that's a good question to kind of wrestle around with. It's a good thing to maybe stop and evaluate your life, uh, whether you're an older you know, soul or you're younger. What kind of leader am I? You see, some leaders are good. They use their, their influence for good. And then obviously there are some leaders that, that are, are bad, right? They use their influence for, for bad. I you know, had a lot of teachers in my life. Some of them were really good and they used their influence for, for good. Some of them were, were pretty crummy. I've had coaches that were leaders in my life, and most of them were, were, were really good. One of them's a, a very active member of our church, uh, uh, Coach Hauser. I couldn't even call him anything else other than Coach Hauser. That guy had a positive influence on, on my life. Our football coach at our Christian school, Big Valley Christian School, uh, coach uh, Schimmel was one of my coaches. And so every time I see him, he normally sits right down here uh, uh, tomorrow. I see him, and man, that guy was a leader in my life. He had great influence in my life. Some leaders, you know, are, are, are bad. We've all had bad coaches, bad teachers, you know. We've had people in our lives, friends who were leaders in our lives, you know, and they just let us down a rat hole, you know. The Bible says that, that bad company corrupts good morals. Those people, you know, that can come into our lives that are just crummy and they have influence. Somehow they have leadership in our lives, influence in our lives, and they lead us down these, these, these crummy 
places. And so, obviously, those of us that name the name of Jesus Christ want to be good leaders, right? I mean, that's kind of a a no-brainer. Or we want to get better at leading. And that's been some of the uh, feedback I've been getting from some of you on the, you know, through my email and all that kind of stuff, that you've recognized, wow, I am a leader, but I haven't been a good one. I haven't used my influence for good things, honorable things. And God is already speaking to you about ways that you might tweak your life, allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life and transform you, that you might be a better leader for, for, for the Lord. And so anyway, Nehemiah is really a, a, the, the perfect guy to, to look at when you're talking about leadership, because he, he was an incredible leader, just a, a, a great guy, and there's lots, even in the first two weeks of our study, that we've learned. Now, uh, last week we saw that leadership, good leadership, always starts with prayer. Always starts with prayer. Now, leaders do more than pray, but they don't do anything until they've prayed. And we saw that last week in the life of, of Nehemiah, good, good leaders pray. Now, um, today, what, what I want to talk about is uh, what you do after you pray, what good leaders do after they pray, and that is that they plan Good leaders plan. They think things through. Now, some of you, bless your souls, are great, you know, people of prayer. You're, but you're just not all that great at planning. Some of you, man, you plan. Man, you're, you love to plan, but your, your, your problem, the thing that you've got to kind of work with is, I need to spend some time praying first to make sure that my plan lines up with the plans of the Lord, you see. Now, before I get into our, our text, I want to I quickly share with you three reasons why you need to, to, to plan, okay? Number one, leaders spend time planning because God plans. God plans. Jeremiah, i just give you one passage, uh, uh, chapter 29. God says, for I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster. They're they're plans to give you a future, plans to give you a hope. There are a number of passages in Scripture where you actually see God has planned things. If God plans, it's probably a pretty good idea that we do it. Don't you think? And I know some of you, you know, oh man, I, I just kind of uh, live by the seat of my pants, you know. I just kind of let the Holy Spirit lead me, and I don't really think anything through. Wow. And I'll bet if your spouse had a chance to walk up to a microphone, we'd probably hear about a lot of blunders, a lot of really crazy stuff. Look, God plans. So we ought to plan. Number two, leaders spend time planning because God commands that you plan. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, but let everything be done in a right and orderly manner. 
And to accomplish this, you, you got a plan, don't you? I mean, just to have a, a, a family over to our home for, for dinner, one family, two people. My, my, my wife and uh, I, well, my wife, she plans. She thinks it through. And I'll just wait for them to show up, and then I'll open up the refrigerator and see what I got. <laughs> Who would do that? Proverbs chapter 4 says, plan carefully what you do, and whatever you do will turn out right. And one of the, the great things about leadership, whether it be, you know, Scott leading the worship team or Bobby leading the school or you leading your classroom or, or whatever, man, that, that is just absolutely true. You plan carefully, and most of the time, wow, it's unbelievable what, what, will t what, what happens. Uh, number three, leaders spend time planning because it's just good stewardship to plan. I mean, it just makes sense to plan. And, and I'm a living example of this. My, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I like to garden, and during the summer months, you know, I'll garden, and I'll go out, and, and I'll have, uh, you know, during the winters, a lot of my little plants will die, and they're pots and stuff, and, and so what'll happen is, you know, I just kind of go out in the backyard, and I'll go, okay, I got this, 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 I don't know, these are medium-sized plants, I need two mediums, and oh, I need three large ones, and, and four small ones, you know, and then I run out, and I run to the place, and was that two, four, was it four larges, it was two mediums? And then I go, and, and oh, man, I got two pots left over. Oh, I got to go back. I just blew another 20 minutes driving to the place. And then I finally get done, and I go, well, I got four plants left over. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. I didn't plan. Just ran to my car, and I need plants, and I just, I just go. Wasted gas, wasted time. It's just good stewardship to plan. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. So be careful how you live. Be careful. That's good wisdom. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Isn't that, isn't that just good, good wisdom from God to us, Christian? That we ought to be careful how we live. That we just make the most of every opportunity. Beloved, you show me someone that doesn't plan, and I'll show you somebody that isn't careful with how they live. They're just not careful. So with this said, let, let's get into our text. Okay, We're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And I'm not going to read the whole thing right now, but we're going to kind of walk through it together. Because it's in these verses that we see how a leader plans you, you can't miss the, the fact that Nehemiah had thought some things through. He had sat down with his little pad of paper and a pencil and done a lot of planning. I mean, he had done a lot of thinking. And it's just really clear here. So I'm going to walk us through a few things here that, that, that I think are, will be a blessing to you. Number one, a good leader always allows time to pray, think, and plan. Always. You always got to allow time for that. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it says this. 
Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. Now, as a quick reminder, Nehemiah was living in Babylon. The, the Jewish people had, uh, were, were all living in, in Jerusalem, and that's where their temple was, and God had said, you know, here's how I want you to live, and, and he gave the, the, the Israelites, you know, some commands, some decrees, and the Israelites blew God off and said, you know, we're not gonna, we don't want to live by your rules. And that always is a, a bad mistake. And so because the Jewish people blew God off, God allowed a conquering army to invade Jerusalem. They broke down the walls and made a mess of the city. They tore down the, 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 the temple. I mean, it was, a, it was a bloody mess. Well, there, after a number of years, God allowed some Jews to make their way back into Jerusalem. And finally, there was a guy by the name of Zerubbabel who comes to Jerusalem, and he actually rebuilds the temple. But the city was a, a mess. It was, was just in a ruins, and the walls that protected the city were all, you know, knocked over. It was, a, it was a bloody mess. And so Nehemiah's brother goes to Jerusalem, comes back to, to, to Babylon, which is where uh, Nehemiah was, and says, hey, listen, man, the the city's not in, not in a good place. The, the walls are tore down. There's low morale. This is a really crummy deal. And so when Nehemiah hears this, he, he's just really grieved over it. And the Bible says that he, he prayed and fasted and mourned for days and days and days. And in the Hebrew, it has the indication that it was really months. Months had, 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 gone, had gone by. And, and you can read about all that in chapter 1 if you haven't been here. Well, when you get to chapter 2, probably, like I said, four months has gone by since Nehemiah first heard about the mess in Jerusalem. He's, he's taken, um, he hasn't, you know, taken any action for four months. Hadn't done anything. He's just prayed. He knows Jerusalem is a mess. He knows it's, it's just messed up. It needs a leader to go and rebuild the walls and all that stuff. But he hadn't done a thing. Not a thing for four months. All he's done is pray and think and plan. There's no doubt that Nehemiah wanted to go rebuild the city. There's no doubt that Nehemiah wanted to go rebuild the walls. There's no doubt that Nehemiah wanted to go and be a blessing to the people in Jerusalem. He wanted to go, but he takes no action for at least four months. He simply prays and he thinks and he plans. And because he does this, he knows exactly what he's going to say when the king gives him the chance. There's going to come a moment when the, when the king is going to you know, say, hey, Nehemiah, what's up? And because Nehemiah began with prayer, planning, thinking, he's going to be ready. He's going to know exactly what he wants to say. Proverbs chapter 13 says this, wise people think before they act. Fools don't. And I can tell you right now, in my 50-something years of existence, I have been a fool more times than I could count. 
And originally I had a couple of illustrations I was going to give you. <laughs> and <laughs> delete. Just good enough that I would just tell you that. There have been many times in my life when I just didn't think something through. Proverbs chapter 14 says, why is a clever person wise? Because he knows what to do. Why is a stupid person foolish? Because he only thinks, because he only thinks he knows. Say what, th those are just some incredible passages. Beloved, it's wise to spend time praying about your life. It's wise to spend time praying about your family. It's wise to spend time praying about your, your business. It's wise to spend time praying about your classroom if you're a teacher. That's a wise thing to do. It's wise to spend time thinking about your life, isn't it? Just your own personal life. It's wise to spend time praying. It's wise to spend time planning out your life, planning out your family's life, planning out your business, right? It's a wise thing to, to, to pray. It's a wise thing to think. It's a wise thing to plan. Those are all wise things that you ought to do in your own personal life. You ought to do it in your family. You ought to do it in your business. You ought to think about on the job, maybe on your sports team. It's just a wise thing to do. Well, this is exactly what Nehemiah was doing. He takes no action for four months. He was praying and thinking and planning. And this is one of the, the great marks of, a leader, of, of leadership. Not quick to rush into things. And, and number two, and I really wrestled around with this one a little bit, what I was going to come up with, and, and, and I wrote this. A good leader doesn't allow fear to stop them from taking action. Another thing you could write under, write under that if you wanted to on verses 2 and 3 is a, a good leader is always ready when opportunity knocks. And I struggled between those two. Either one of those I, I think is really good. Look at verse 2. It says, early uh, uh, the following spring in the month of uh, Nisan during the 20th reign of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king as wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in a ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Beloved, remember, for months, Nehemiah's been praying. He's been thinking. He's been planning. And here's the moment he's been waiting for, right? God has opened the door. God has given him the opportunity to present his idea to the king. And because he had prayed, because he had thought, because he had planned, he was ready with the answer. The problem was his fear. Man, I know that feeling. No, oh, it's like everything just tightens up. It just paralyzes you. We've all probably been there, right? 
God opens up some door to share your faith or whatever it might be, and man, just fear grips your soul. Nehemiah was terrified. He's scared to death. Why? Well, let me give you three reasons why he was afraid. Number one, he's scared because in those days, it was a capital crime to be sad in front of the king. If you frowned or were depressed in the presence of the king, you could literally get your head cut off. Notice it, it says, this is the first time that I'd ever appeared sad in the king's presence. I guarantee you there were many days when Nehemiah went to work when he was bummed out and sad. But he's the king. You put the happy face on, right? He's got the power over life and death. He can say, off with your head and you're dead. So you were happy, whether you were happy or not. Number two, he was scared because he was going to ask the king for permission to leave his job as the cupbearer, which is a very influential job for a long time. And once again, in those days, if the king didn't like your request, that means he, he didn't like you. So he's about ready to unload something. What if, he, what if he didn't like it? And number three, he was scared because the king had already said that the walls of the city weren't to be rebuilt. So he's going to go ask the king for something that he'd already weighed in on. The king had already said no. So Nehemiah has a number of reasons to be scared. Now there's this really crazy myth out there that says that leaders never, you know, get, get afraid. And that's just not true. Being scared is part of human nature. Nothing wrong with being afraid. There's nothing wrong with being scared. Unless that fear paralyzes you from doing what God wants you to do. It's okay to be fearful. It's okay to be afraid. Everybody gets afraid. Everybody. Nehemiah is an incredible man. I look forward to the day I get to see him when I get to heaven. But he's just being honest, right? Hey, man, I was afraid. This is unbelievable. There's the king, Artaxerxes, man. Nothing wrong with being afraid unless somehow it keeps you from accomplishing what God wants to do. Let me tell you something, good leaders are able to move beyond that. Yeah, the fear comes, and yeah, the fear grips you, but somehow, some way, because of the time that you've spent in prayer, because of the time that you've spent thinking and planning, you're able to take that step and do whatever it is that God has called you to do. Now, I want you to look again at verse 3, okay, because Nehemiah was really brilliant. The king asked him, why are you looking so sad? You know, you don't look sick to me. What, what, what's the problem? And he said, long live the king. <laughs> How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Beloved, God opens the door and Nehemiah is ready. I, I got the feeling he had written out these first few lines. This was kind of his sermon he knew what he was going to say when he, when he got to the pulpit. 
The first thing Nehemiah does is he assures the king of his loyalty. Long live the king! You the man! Remember, Nehemiah was the king's bodyguard. So maybe, you know, when the king saw Nehemiah's countenance so sad, you know, the king could have gone, dude, what's up with this guy? Is he plotting some assassination attempt? Has he, you know, switched sides, become a double agent? So the first thing Nehemiah does is he just assures the king, you the man, long live the king. You're you the guy. I'm, I'm behind you. Kind of, kind of a thing. Then the second thing that Nehemiah did was he appeals to the eastern respect for ancestors. He says, for the city where my ancestors are buried is in a ruins. The eastern guys are really into taking care of their ancestors' graves. Okay, this is just brilliant. During those four months of praying and planning, God gave him just the right things to say, and the king's response was, you know, what do you want? Okay, you to me. you're still loyal to me, and I understand, you know, you got grandpa, great-grandpa, maybe their graves need to be fixed up. What's happening? What, 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 what's, what, what's going on? Listen, when opportunity knocks, you need to be ready. Life is full of opportunities. God opens up so many opportunities to us almost on a daily basis. The problem is most of the time we're just not ready for them, most of the time. You got an opportunity to share your faith with somebody, and you know what? You're just not ready. You, you don't know what to say, how to say it. You haven't, you haven't taken a class. You don't know. You just, you don't know. Or, you know, you, you've walked with God. You know the scriptures. Maybe you went through our how to share your faith class, and God opens up the door. Oh, man, what if, what if they jack you up, man? What if they say something? What if they go, I don't want your God? What if they spit in your face? What if they reject you? And so you don't say a thing. You're just afraid. Look, I guarantee you, God opens up all kinds of doors all the time for all of us. The issue, are you ready? Man, Nehemiah was ready. The guy was ready. And the reason why he was ready is because he spent a lot of time praying, thinking, and planning. And I think that's what got him over his, his, his fear, if, 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 you're, if you will. Now, the next um, three things that Nehemiah really does here, asks for, are real evidence of the fact that he, he had planned. Number three, a good leader always knows what the goal is. Hey, you, you're the man, you're the king, long live the king. Hey, man, my dad and my grandpa and my great-grandpa's grave it's just all goofed up, man. And I, I need to go back and fix it all up. It ain't cool. It ain't right. I, wanna, I just, I just want to do that. Okay. Artaxerxes says, what is it you want? Verse 4 says, then the king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven. Nothing wrong with those short little, oh God, here I go. <laughs> I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judea to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Boom, boom, he knows the goal. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't fumble around, well, you know, uh, I was just kind of thinking maybe, you know, there's a, uh, you know, uh, 
stammering and stuttering. No, no, no. He, he knew exactly what the goal was. I want to go and rebuild the city. That's what I want to do. He gives them the whole overarching thought. Nehemiah knew what he wanted. And the reason why he knew was because of the time on his knees, praying, thinking, planning. He had thought things through. He knew the goal. And and the goal was to go and rebuild the city, especially the walls of the city. He knew what he was striving for. He had a target. Now let me tell you what most people do. Most people set goals that are way too small or low or whatever, and then they try to accomplish them way too fast. I have found in, in, in my 30 years here at Big Valley Grace, talking with people, even my own life at times, our goals are too dinky, they're too small, and we try to accomplish them too fast. And here, Nehemiah, I think, was an incredible example of just really trusting God for something really big. And I want to challenge you to set big goals, make big plans. And the reason why I want you to set big goals and make big plans is so that you have to trust a big God to accomplish them. A long time ago, I was sitting in my office as a youth pastor here. This is a long time ago, okay? A long time ago, a couple of decades ago. And uh, there was a man by the name of Dr. Paul Calhoun. He was a, a missionary from our church and came into my office and sat down and said, hey, Rick, tell me what your goals are for this next year in the youth department. And I kind of said, well, here's how many kids I'd like to take to camp, and here's what I want to do with this. And I had a whole list, and I gave it to him. And he said, so, so basically, this is history. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, every year you always take about 10% more kids to camp, right? Yeah. And you're trusting God for 10% this next year, right? Yeah. So that's kind of history. And then I, you know, I had a list of how many kids from Davis High School, you know, I wanted to see in the youth group that year. And he said, okay, so five years ago you had this many kids, right, from Davis, yeah. And then, then, then that grew by 10%, yeah. Then that grew by 10%, and you're trusting God for another 10%, yeah. Well, that's just history. Why don't you trust God for something bigger than that, something, something that, that would go way beyond that? So that you have to trust in a big God come along and, and, and make it all happen. Think about this. Nehemiah wanted uh, the king to give him permission to take time off from, from work, about three years, if you will, to travel about a thousand miles to go rebuild the city. And he wasn't even a carpenter. He was a cupbearer. Not only did he have a goal, but it was a huge one. I want to go and rebuild the city. He didn't know anything about building a city. He didn't know anything about how to hammer a nail or all that. He's got such a big goal, it's way bigger than him. But he had a goal. Number four, a good leader always sets deadlines. Verse six says, then the king with the queen sitting right beside him asked, how long will you be gone? How long is this going to take? How long are you going to have to, you know, be gone to go rebuild this city and, you know, fix up your your ancestors' graves and all that kind of stuff? When will you return? And after I told him how long I would be gone, once I told him what the deadline was, 
The king agreed to my request. First you pray, then you think things through, then you work through your fears, and then you establish a goal, and then number four, you set a deadline. Part of good planning is setting deadlines, which is what verse six, at least in my opinion, is all about. Nehemiah obviously had thought things through because when the king asked how long he was gonna be gone, Nehemiah had an answer. I mean, imagine if he'd have said, uh, how long am I gonna be gone? Well, you know, uh, let's see, uh, oh, a year, I don't know, maybe two, could be four. I don't know, man, I, you don't have a clue. That's a good question. Let me get back to you. No, he knew. Boom, here's, I told him, here's how long. Here's how long I'm gonna be gone. Let me give you a real life illustration of this principle. The worship department um, uh, came to me and said, hey, uh, Rick, we want to put together another worship CD. This is the newest one. Most of, you, most of you purchased it. And I said, okay, well, tell me, what, what, what's the plan? Well, here's the plan. We, we want it to be a live worship CD project. And, and so what we've done is we've reserved a couple of dates in the future where the room is ours and we can invite people down here so that we can get all of, you know, everybody screaming and singing on the CD. And uh, here's kind of what it's going to cost. Here's what we're thinking about doing. And, um, um, and I said, well, what, when, when do you, what's the goal? When do you want to give this thing out? Well, we want to make sure it's available for Christmas. And so we're looking at the first week of December that we'd stand up in front of everybody and ta-da-da. They had thought it through. They had every, all the details worked out. They just didn't show up and go, hey, uh, we're going to do a CD. Oh, what are you going to do? I don't know. Well, when, when are you, like, is it going to be live? Well, you don't know if it'll be live or not. We don't, we don't really know. Well, like, what kind of songs are you going to do? I don't know. We haven't thought about that yet. Well, do you have any idea what it's going to cost? Nah, I haven't got there yet either. When would you like to finish it, have it available for people? Yeah, I don't know, a couple years. Uh, you see, they came in with a plan. They had it thought through. They prayed about it. They had thought about it. And so guess what? Boom, it came out, and man, God has used it in a lot of people's lives. And by the way, this kind of thing happens, you know, a hundred times in a, in a day around Big Valley. People dream, and I, I'm always amazed at people who make an appointment with me and get in. They got a, hey, I got a thought, and they just have it. It's just like, well, what is it? I don't know. I'm just kind of dreaming about it. Well, like, uh, well, I don't know. And it's just, what do, what do I do? I, Nehemiah was brilliant. This is an incredible man. Chapter one, you, you see his heart, and you see how broken he is, how sensitive he is, and all of that. And, and man, you see this man who's praying. You get to chapter two, and you see this incredible plan unfolding here. This, this, this guy's this guy's unbelievable. Beloved, if your goal doesn't have a deadline, let me just tell you, it's not a goal. It's not a goal. Number five, good leaders anticipate problems. Verse seven says, I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters to address the governors of the providences west of the Euphrates River. Instruct them to let me have, travel safely through their territories on my way to Judea 
And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I'll need it to make the beams for the gates of the temple, fortress, the city walls, blah, blah, blah. It kind of goes on. Remember, it's, it's about 800 to 1,000 mile journey. He's in Babylon where Iraq is today. That's where the Jews were deported, if you will, because of their disobedience to God. And now God's allowing them to come back to Jerusalem. And like I said, it's about 800,000 miles. And to travel from Babylon back to uh, Jerusalem, you had to go through a, a number of provinces or towns or, or regions. And in those days, you, you didn't travel as freely as you do now. And so Nehemiah has already thought it through. Okay, here's the deal, man. I'm going to have to make this journey here. So what I need from the king is I need a letter that says, hey, don't mess with me. The king said I can come through here. Or exert, come on through. So he thought it through. He knew the troubles that were going to come. And so he says, now king here, he's got, he, he may not get another shot with the king. This is it. And so he says, man, I need these letters. Can you write them all out for me? And I'm going to travel through all these provinces and this will get me here safely. He, he thought into the future during that time of prayer, that time of thinking, that time of planning. Man, he, God has given him all kinds of things. And so now he's got all these problems he's anticipated. Remember, Nehemiah just asked, uh, he was just asked by the king, you know, what do you want? And when you look at Nehemiah's answer, you can't miss the fact that this guy had thought things through. This is a, a clear example of, of planning. He just didn't pray, but he planned. He thought. And, he, and he's ready now because of, 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 of all of that. When, when the opportunity presented itself, he was all over that thing like a, like a cheap suit. Proverbs chapter 27 says this, sensible people will see trouble coming and, and avoid it. But an unthinking person will walk right into it and regret it later. Ever know anybody like that? One of the laws of life is that it's always easier to get in than it is to get out, right? It's easier to get into debt than it is to get out of debt, right? It's easier to, to, to get into a relationship than it is to get out of one. It's easier to fill up your schedule than it is to eliminate things from your, your, your schedule. It's just a, a principle of life. That's why a, a wise man, you know, counts the, 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 the cost, which is where we're heading next, okay? Part of planning is to anticipate problems in advance and plan for them. Number six, a good leader always understands the cost. They've always calculated out the cost. They always kind of know what, what something's going to cost. You look at verse eight. He says, and please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, including, instructing him to give me timber, <laughs> this guy's unbelievable. I will need it to make the beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for my own house. This is the, 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 the budgeting part of, 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 of planning. I mean, basically what you got here in these verses is, is Nehemiah's shopping list. 
First Nehemiah says, king, I want you to let me go. Then Nehemiah says, and king, I need you to protect me as I travel. Then Nehemiah says, I need you to get me the lumber. I want you to pay for the lumber I need for the, for the gates and for the city walls and for my own personal house. He's asking the king to foot the bill. King, I'm going to need a letter. I, I, I know who the uh, manager of the uh, local, you know, Lowe's is. Guy named Asaph. Can, can you get me a letter that I can just take to him and I can load up all the timber I need? Nails, you know, hammers, trowels, whatever. Remember, Nehemiah is not a contractor. He's a cupbearer. And when the opportunity arose, he rattled off exactly what he needed. Why? Because he planned. He planned. He thought it through. This whole chapter indicates that Nehemiah had spent a lot of time planning and calculating. He, he understood the, 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 the cost. Man, he knew the, the guy's name, the, 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 you know, ran, oversaw the, the forest. He had already figured out all this way in advance so that when the opportunity arose, he was prepared. The first step of leadership is prayer. The second step of leadership is planning. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 14. He said, if you want to be my disciples, you must hate everybody else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everybody would laugh at you. They would say, hey, there's that person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the, the, the army of 20,000? This is a great passage where Jesus is advocating counting the cost. Now, obviously, in this passage, he's talking about counting the cost of following the Lord. There's a cost. But there's also a broader principle here, too that obviously you should count the cost. Now this is what I, I, I want to do We're gonna, as we kind of land the plane here. I'm, I'm, I'm not done, but I want you to stretch here for just a second. Then I'm going to have you sit back down. So everybody stand up, all right? Everybody stand up. And I want to say these six things out loud, and then, and then I'm going to make just a, a, a final comment, okay? I'll have you sit down, and we'll make a final comment. So let's put those things on the, on the jumbotron, and let, let's say these six things out loud together, okay? N number one, a good leader always allows time to think things through. Number two, a good leader doesn't allow fear to stop them from taking action, okay? Number three. A good leader always knows what the goal is. Number four, a good leader always sets deadlines. Number five, a good leader always anticipates problems. And number six, a good leader always understands the cost. All right, have a seat for just one, one more second, okay? I want you to know that it took incredible boldness 
to do what Nehemiah did. He asked this pagan king who has the power of life and death in his hands for some pretty weighty things. But because he had prayed and he had planned, uh, his faith was strong enough to move ahead. And it says this in verse 9, and I love verse 9. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. You know, um, I, I thought a lot about that. The reason God's hand was on Nehemiah was because Nehemiah had spent a lot of time praying. And it was during those times of prayer that he found the Lord's will. The reason God was honoring him and blessing him and giving him everything he asked for from the king was because in that time of prayer, he found the Lord's will. And the Lord's will will always take place. Now, I, in my mind, kind of imagined, you know, him leaving with all these letters. Okay, this is going to get you through all the providences, okay? Here's a letter to Asaph and all the timber and boards and all the stuff you need for, you know, to build a place in your own house. It's all here for you. And I'm sure he probably took all the stuff and, and uh, hey, by the way, the military escort's going to be right out there for you. They're going to go with you. They're going to travel with you. I'm sure that he walked outside, got away from that building, got on his horse or camel and started, you know, right away, and he just went, whoa, whoa, unbelievable. He's been praying for four months. He's terrified, and he rattles off all this stuff to the king. And the king, you know, I don't know, went back to his computer, had all the stuff made, shot out faxes to everybody who needed fax. And he's out there at his camel going, this is Unbelievable. Everything I asked for and more. I just, in my mind, I was just thinking about Nehemiah. He, I'll bet there was a great, great night of rejoicing and praising God. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 3. With God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we can ask or imagine. And I think Nehemiah saw that principle being played out. God was doing more than even Nehemiah could even hope or dream. Listen, when God finds a person with vision, he, he provides the resources. When a, a guy or a gal gets a vision, just watch out. There's just nothing that God can't do through any one of, 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 of you. Now let me play this out in, in your life in a real way, okay, and then I'm done. And I'm just going to pick one area. I wish I had time to go through more, but just this one area. I think most of you here want to grow spiritually. I believe that. In fact, just by virtue that you're here says something. That you want to grow spiritually. You want to deepen your walk with the Lord. You're, you, that, that's something that's important to you. Here's my, my question. What plans have you made to accomplish this goal? What plans? I mean, we plan most everything else in, in our lives. Why not plan our spiritual lives? Do you have a plan to read through the Bible this year? Have you thought that through? Do you have a, a plan to set aside some time each day to, to pray? You, you got that plan laid out? 
You thought through some of the, 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 the problems that might come with it? Cell phone? That'll interrupt you when you're praying? Have you thought through a, a, a plan about, you know, sharing your faith with that guy or gal at work? Do you have a plan? How are you going to pull that off? Do you have a plan to invite somebody to church or to dinner or to your house or whatever and maybe share the things of the Lord with them? If you don't make a plan, look, the chances are just pretty good that you're just not going to accomplish any of those things. Oh, you'll read your Bible. Oh, and you'll find yourself praying every now and then. And what, you know, I'm not saying those things won't happen. But if you don't really have a plan, a well thought through plan about, man, reading through my Bible or, or, or whatever, growing spirits, I'm going to make sure I'm a part of men's ministry. I'm going to make sure I'm a part of women's ministry. I'm going to make sure I go through that, that foundations uh, that Ken Ham, that the whole church is going to go through. If you don't have a plan, And I, I, don't, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if you'll ever really grow the way you really want to grow. You need a plan. You need a plan for witnessing. You need a plan for reading your Bible. You need a plan for prayer. You need a plan for all the different things in your life. You need a plan for how to get out of debt. You need a plan to start a business. Some of you, I believe, want to get out of debt deeply. I believe that. You got a plan? Or is it just, man, I just got to get out of debt. I just, Got a plan. And maybe this chapter or these first few verses here in this chapter could be a great blessing to you and motivate you and encourage you to say, you know, I, I got to come up with a plan for a few things in my life. I want to make sure that I just don't kind of spend my, my wills. Why don't you stand up? Let, let, let me just end our time by, by praying for you, okay? Father, I'm just grateful, Lord, for your word. Man, without it, we got no reason to come and sing. We got no reason to come and rejoice. I got nothing to say, Lord. Man, the, the Bible is such an incredible gift that you've given to us. The, the Word of God, the inerrant Word of God. And you love us so much, you came and you died on a cross for us. You rose from the grave for us. came to forgive us of our sins, but this book is just filled with great principles for all kinds of things. I'm just amazed at, at, at the life of Nehemiah. May it somehow permeate our thoughts as we leave here. Maybe, maybe there'd be some great planning going on this week. Thanks, Jesus. You're good. And Pastor Scott, would you just close our time here?